does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. The powerful Celtics and the Pacers tonight at TD Garden, 7.30 in Boston. Pacers are 15-16. and 16. Celtics are 22-9. and 9. I was reading the other day, Jason Tatum missed a game to go to his son's five, five-year-old birthday party. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Going to be dad. Jason Tatum. All counts are, though, he's back to take on the Pacers. Speaking of the Pacers, Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana will be on coverage from Boston. Coverage on Bally at 7. Same case for here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Tip time at 7.30. Jeremiah, we've talked a lot about it over the last week or so. This stretch for the Pacers really does seem like murderer's row before Christmas because in a three-game stretch, you got Boston, Miami, and New Orleans, and then you got to deal with Atlanta back at home two days after Christmas. Yeah, it's a difficult stretch, not just in terms of uh, maybe I won't put Atlanta in this category, but the previous four teams, the physicality that they play with, and it's something that Rick Carlisle, he brought up before the game against Cleveland. In one way, it's good because for preparation, you're, you're preparing for similar kinds of teams and styles of play. At the same time, these are the kind of teams that I think with the current makeup of the Pacers rock can cause some issues. They want to prevent those fast break points and those opportunities. They're tough rebounding teams. And so it's maybe a little bit of a counter to what the Pacers do well. Oddly enough, they seem to match up really well with teams like Golden State that want to get out and run because the Pacers can run with anyone that wants to play that kind of game. If someone wants to slow it down, if a team has a bunch of bruisers, as you might expect from uh, – even though Boston isn't maybe as big and physical as New York, they play really good defense. So it'll be a big challenge. JJ, after the nice start for the Pacers, obviously the schedule's gotten a little bit tougher as well, but 3-7 and seven in their last 10. As this team kind of tries to find its identity, what's been the biggest uh, either telling mark or the biggest area of – growth that's still needed for this group as again they're still a very young team but still have aspirations to try to make the playoffs this year yeah i think the big thing would be closing out games fourth quarter um and having the confidence to do so every game it seems like is close midway through the fourth they're in a position where if they make a few plays offensively or perhaps get a couple of key stops or maybe a critical rebound they, they would come away victorious, and they just haven't been able to do that against some of the elite teams. I would just say probably uh, the schedule has taken a little bit of a turn where you can beat teams like Charlotte and Houston and, and Detroit and Orlando when you're not playing your best, and you played all those teams in a span of you know two or three weeks. And so the record showed the Pacers are better than those teams. On uh, equal playing field, maybe they're not as good right now as the Cavs, as you know, the Knicks, at least that night. I mean, they're, they're very close, though. The, the margin for error is very slim, but they're really right there, and it's just a matter of closing out some of these games. I think they made some key plays in the fourth quarters of games early in the season when they were getting wins. They haven't been able to make that, that key, key basket or key stop in the last couple of weeks. Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana is with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service 
and power tools. JJ, I know with rookies, you always got to be cognizant of um, making sure they're comfortable and giving them the best possible situations and matchups. But Rick has seemed to really like Ben Matherin coming off the bench, and, and Andrew Nemhard has really taken a role in that starting five ever since he went off for the first time against Golden State. Do you see those roles sticking, or as we go along, do you consider that maybe Rick will continue to reevaluate things? Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, it, may, it would make sense at some that maybe I don't know necessarily to say that you would flip Mather and for Nemhard. I think there may be some other things could be in play there, but I think you definitely in the short term like what you're getting from Matherin in terms of playing with two different groups. He comes off the bench and TJ McConnell gets him going and he's the focal point of that second unit. I'm not sure he would have that same opportunity the flow of games with the starting five. But then if it's a close game, you basically have really six guys and you're playing five of those dependent upon the situation and the opponent. But he, he, a lot of times this season we've seen him come in the game midway through the third quarter and then play the entire fourth quarter, something that Rick Carlisle has said he doesn't really like to do just in terms of minutes played and fatigue, but he's done it on more than one occasion. So that tells you the confidence that he has in, in Benedict Mather, and I think it's just trying to think big picture, ease him into the NBA, get him on the court maybe at times against the to get going offensively, and then as he continues to work on his all-around game. So he said we know where this is going, I think, when asked about it at one point this season. I think we all would understand Included would understand at some point he's going to be starting. And I don't think anybody's necessarily concerned about which date on the schedule that happens. JJ, of course, Coach Carlisle prides himself on not only effort on defense, but just success rate on defense. This is a Boston team that even ignoring the, the absence of uh, Jason Tatum against the Magic last time out, that has struggled a bit offensively after starting really hot to open the year. Where are the keys in your mind to another successful defensive outing against, like you mentioned, a, a barometer team, if you will, a contender in the East that you would like to to one day, maybe not this year, but one day be in that same breath of the conversation of competing for the Larry O'Brien Trophy? Well, for tonight's game specifically, I think individually there are two keys, and one of them is Andrew Nemhard that you mentioned. The reason he's in the starting lineup right now, and I'm not saying he's in over Mather, but he's just in in general is because of his ability to guard defensively, which is just a, a compliment to him for a rookie to have that trait. And so he will likely, I would guess, guard you know, one of those two guys, and then someone else that's likely to get that assignment at times tonight is someone who knows both uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown well, and that's Aaron Neesmith. And I've really been impressed by the way he's played the last couple of weeks, maybe a little bit of a slow start to the season, and he, he battled through some foot injuries, but he played really well against the Knicks. I was all prepared to do the walk-off interview with him if he would have been if it would have been a Pacers win, and I talked to him after practice, and he knows these guys as well as anyone. He's in third team with the Celtics and going against them in practice. So if anybody has a good chance to slow them down and also when you combine the confidence that he's playing with, it would be Aaron Neesmith. So I really am going to be watching how he plays. He, he, he acknowledged sometimes a player will give you the, it's just another game. He acknowledged this is a big night for him, a big game, the team that drafted him. And then after two seasons, so I'm looking forward to seeing him step up to the challenge tonight. JJ, you led me right into my next question. I was going to talk about Aaron Neesmith. I thought he was a huge factor in that Knicks game being on hand. I mean, the physicality and the energy he brings offensively and defense, defensively as well. But uh, what do you think most he fills for this team, maybe that was missing before? Well, you know, Wings, the 3 and D type of player, I think probably for a number of years, and even let's go back to when, when TJ Warren 
got injured, I think it was maybe something that was missing from the roster. And even when the Pacers acquired T.J. Warren, he was a three. I'm not sure he was the D. Uh, but he played a lot better defense than I think anyone gave him credit for. So you need that length, that physicality on the perimeter. And that's the thing that I think he will give you night in, night out. The offense is probably at this point in his career maybe still a little inconsistent when he gets a good open look and he's playing well. You feel like that three's going in, but there have been stretches this season where it hasn't gone down as much as he would probably like. But I think uh, the defense on the wing, the confidence that you can have him guard uh, Tatum or Brown or maybe even, let's say, Jimmy Butler on Friday against the Heat and, and feel good about your chances is something that the Pacers haven't really had that lockdown that's how he can maybe make a name for himself in a long NBA career if he can continue to improve that aspect of his game. JJ, to kind of build off of that point, Jeremiah Johnson, nice enough to join us here on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline or the motorshop.com for all your residential commercial mowers as well as power tools, snow blowers, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the motorshop.com. Uh, JJ, to that point about uh, Aaron Neesmith and just you know, from a storyline perspective, I know that's that's part of your job, you know, man in the sidelines is that looking for kind of the nuggets and the ins and outs. We always like to joke about a good revenge game. I don't know if there's that much animosity on the Neesmith front, and I don't even know if there's any on the Malcolm Brogdon front. But, of course, he another big storyline tonight with it being a matchup against the Pacers since that trade happened. Uh, where is your observation from afar on that and, and Brogdon's uh, tenure to this point in Boston through 40 games? It's a good question, and it's a little odd that maybe it'll be a little bit of a bigger storyline when Boston comes to Indiana, but maybe not the hype for this, considering what he was signed as, and or at least you know the Pacers made that sign and trade with the Bucks, and what you thought of him as the point guard of the future at the time. And I, I think all parties, you maybe didn't work out the way that they had anticipated, and when you start with a different era, a new era, and maybe a different timeline, Malcolm Brogdon doesn't really fit. And let's be honest, he was not able to stay healthy, maybe make the impact that he likes. So going into this matchup, I, it wasn't the first thing we were planning to talk about on the pregame show, maybe middle of the show, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. But uh, I think it has been, from his perspective, he's only missed five games out of 31. And so that's something percentage-wise better than he was able to do with the Pacers, and part of that could be the minutes played. I looked at his stats this morning, and um, lowest minutes per game of his career, scoring average down near his first or second year in the Bucks. And I think part of that's just opportunity, just not gotten the Celtics. But I don't think he's complaining about it. It seems like he's happy to be here with Boston and, you know, eyes of the opportunity to be on a championship type of team where Boston is right now. So, uh, you know, no hard feelings, no animosity, but also maybe not the hype that you would you would think for the circumstances. Jeremiah Johnson is with us. JJ, what does a healthy Chris Duarte bring most to a Pacers squad? Well, he's just a knockdown three-point shooter, and you can never have enough of those. And all you have to do is think back to the way he started his season, you know, with that game in Charlotte and some other opportunities where you were – you were showing some highlights of Chris Duarte and also his ability to hit shots in clutch situations or maybe even end of quarters. His, his buzzer-beating reel has got three or four nice shots on it. So I think that's the one thing that you always want to add to a team. You, you can never have too much shooting, and so that's what he brings. Defensively, he made great strides when healthy last season, so that's what you'd want to continue to see if he can stay healthy, if he can continue to play really good defense. So uh, it's just another wing. You can never have a, a wing or a 
the one thing that will be interesting to follow over the next couple of weeks is if he stays healthy and everyone else does as well, there's competition for playing time. There, there are going to be times and situations where someone's not in the game in the fourth quarter, and you might ask yourself, well, there's so-and-so in the doghouse. It won't necessarily be the case. It's just a number situation, and that's uh, what you would call a pleasant problem for Rick Carlson. They're going to evaluate everything, but it does make everyone that is playing play their absolute best because they know a bad couple of games, and you know, it could be next man up, not due to injury. JJ, what do you guys got coming up tonight on the pregame? Well, Eddie Gill's on the road, so that's always exciting. I know he'll be contributing double duty on the radio side of things during the game with Mark Boyle, but we'll have him on Pacers Live pregame, postgame as well. And also, Quinn Buckner will join Eddie and I in the second segment. We'll ask some interesting questions. Uh, a Larry Bird-related topic coming mm. from our producer, Ken Softman. So uh, a little bit of a roundtable discussion. I think the games at TD Garden, it's always – it's kind of always one of those moments. I, I pinch myself every game to have this opportunity, but when I'm sitting courtside with the parquet floor underneath and, and looking up in the rafters, doing a pregame show, it's one of those moments that you don't take for granted and will bring the energy and the enthusiasm tonight at 7 o'clock. It's a cool spot, JJ. Have a lot of fun. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Jer- Jeremiah. Jeremiah Johnson with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. God, I love this song. Absolutely love it. There's just a different level when it comes to Frank, man. Oh, man. Just a different level. Couldn't agree more. Brennan King to my right, Eddie Garrison behind the ones and twos. I'm Jimmy Cook. Thanks again for joining us here on the Fan Midday Show. We already mentioned news of the day. Nick Foles, the new starting back for Indianapolis Colts. We're going to get to that as the show continues to unfold. But first, Christmas is many things for a lot of us. A lot of it involves spending time with family and gathering around for whether it's presents, whether it's however you celebrate the holidays, Sports at some point are going to enter your daily life, I would think. Christmas Day games join us each and every year. And our next guest, one of the great broadcasters in the game, and will also be on the call for ESPN to start the coverage when the 76ers battle the New York Knicks. He is Ryan Rucco of ESPN and Yes Network. Ryan, happy holidays to you. How are you, sir? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Always appreciate you coming on and making your time. Looking forward to a fun Christmas Day slate. And that that's kind of where I want to start is with the NBA with our conversation today. Ryan, we are over a third of the way through uh, the start of this NBA campaign. I, we obviously know you do a lot of work nationally with ESPN, but also uh, involved with the, uh, the Nets to some extent with the Yes Network. Uh, what's been your major takeaways for this first third of the season? Well, I, I think that there's uh, there's not a huge gap uh, between many of the teams. You know, both on the bottom end of the, the or the not bottom end, but I'll say like back middle end of the spectrum, right? In that sort of like you know ten seed to six seed, and then uh, amongst the other teams as well. Like, I don't think that there's any sort of definitive for sure this team is going to the finals or like, you're definitely going to have to knock off this team. If you want to have a shot, you know, I don't think that's really the landscape right now. Um, And to me, that's exciting. You know, it's exciting that there is that sort of uh, variability 
uh, within the season because I don't think it's because teams aren't good. I think it's because there's a lot of teams that are good. Um, and so if there was, you know, one big takeaway that I had, it would be that like, yeah, you know, in the East, you're going to say Boston and Milwaukee are your favorites, but would you say that they are impenetrable? No, you know, in the West, you know, obviously the team that everyone would have looked at was Golden State, but with the, you know, shaky start they've gotten off to, uh, I don't think anybody feels definitively like they're going back to the finals, although they very well may feel like the favorites by the time we get to the playoffs. But and then, you know, the other teams who have been sort of more clear cut at the top of the conference thus far with Denver and New Orleans and Memphis and Phoenix they have their own questions as well, and I don't think anybody would be surprised to see any of those teams go to the finals or lose in the second round. So I think it's just a, overall there's a parity that I think is very exhilarating. Hey, Ryan, it's Brendan. Does that, does that parity kind of speak to the balanced star power that we continue to see in the league now? You got a Luka on one team. You got a Moran on one team. Zion on one team. Tatum and Brown in Boston. So does that parity come from the stars being balanced all, th- all throughout the league? Yeah, I think it does. You know, I, th- I think that, you know, some of it is certainly um, a, a system uh, designed to create some parity working, right? Um, and, uh, and I think it's also just the, the elevation of the, you know, caliber of, of player that's in the league now gives you a lot more options, uh, to choose from. There's a lot more talent. Uh, we see consistently how often NBA teams are now, you know, plucking from the international field, of course, and the way that's expanded, uh, the talent in the league. And, and yeah, I think, you know, you go up and down the NBA, even teams that, you know, or maybe don't have championship expectations this year or maybe are struggling, you can look at their roster and you can see a future. I think also, you know, the more money and the more attention that's put on anything, the more likely it is that, you know, inefficiencies are going to be found and corrected and accounted for. And, you know, so I think that every team just keeps getting smarter. Um, but just like a couple teams off the top of my head who, who I think have bright futures and, you know, may not factor in huge to – the playoffs this year, like look at an Orlando, you know, look at a Detroit, like you, in Detroit they they should be very excited about, you know, the combination of young talent they have moving forward. Um, whether it's, you know, Jaden Ivey or it's Cade Cunningham, or if it's their bigs, you know, I saw uh, them play the other night and I was like, geez, you know, they, they're going to be good for a long time. You know, when they finally develop, Indiana, a team that very well may go to the playoffs this year, but beyond that, they have a core that you can be excited about moving forward. Sacramento, same thing. They very well you know, may go to the playoffs this year, but either way, they have players you're excited about. Um, so uh, Orlando, Detroit, Sacramento, Indiana, you know, these are teams that aren't going to factor into a championship race this year, but all teams that I think will be knocking on the door for middle playoff seeds soon you know in the next you know whatever two three years and then who knows beyond that so yeah i I think it's just a there's just a lot of talent spread out throughout the league ryan rucco joining us on the hotline brought to you by the motor shop in fishers and the motorshop.com you can follow ryan on twitter at ryan rucco a part of espn the yes network and the r2c2 podcast with cc sabathia ryan sticking with the pacers for a second you talk about the young pieces they have there in general 
when you look at names like Tyrese Halliburton, like Benedict Matherin uh, in his rookie campaign, Andrew Nemhard in that same breath, some thought this might be a year where the Pacers were still in the back of the lottery. It still could roll out that way depending on how the season goes. But from your national seat, what's the perspective been from a Pacers team that you've definitely got to see a handful of glimpses of, particularly since they've already played the Nets so often this year and just had a, a thriller yeah. with the Knicks a couple of nights ago? Yeah, I've gotten to broadcast multiple Pacers games uh, uh, already this year between the Nets and then actually having them on national TV against Washington. Um, you know, I really I really like what they have going on. First of all, I love the coaching staff. Um, you know, I love Rick Carlisle and respect the heck out of him and what he's built. Um, but I also love Lloyd Pierce and, and the presence that he has. And Jenny Busek, who's a brilliant, brilliant offensive mind, um, and uh, and I, I love the way kind of the Pacers organization feels right now. Um, and, and I think that talent-wise, look, Tyrese Halliburton looks like a kind of guy who can be a perennial all-star. You know, he has an innate sense for playmaking and making his teammates better. He also is obviously an incredibly efficient shooter, um, and he is full-on blossoming. He's taken this opportunity and run with it. Matherin, one of the things that Lloyd Pierce said to us, which I think was a really good point, said he already gets to the line like a veteran. And I thought that was so interesting because if you watch it, like he really is savvy like that and strong like that. And that's the kind of skill you need to go from being a 15-point scorer to a 20-point scorer. Um, and, uh, and he's also a guy who Rick Carlisle told us continually – asked to be coached hard. I know you guys have heard that in Indy as well. Um, and uh, Nimhard is just the kind of guy who makes championship plays, you know, who's a really good defender um, and who's a winning player. Um, and that's just kind of the start of what they have going on. You know, we'll see what they do with Miles Turner, who obviously has fit well with what they're doing. And I don't know if that changes the scope of his future, but either way, that'll be a good thing because either he's a part of the future or you flip him into, you know, potentially other assets that are a part of the future. So, I think that, you know, as a fan base, you have to be excited because you can see something that's going to be, you know, worth growing with. Ryan, is there a certain aspect or trait of Rick Carlisle's former teams that have had success that you see in the Pacers that he brings to the table? Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. If, if, if I guess just like competency. You know, I, I never felt like any of Rick Carlisle's teams – Wherever without a plan, I feel like they always were just like competent, and he's always been able to get the most out of role players and, and help, you know, help role players blossom. Like if you really look at the Mavericks and, and what they were able to build and, and you know continue since he's left, like you know took a lot of guys who were second round picks or late first round picks or whatever it might be, and found ways to develop them into guys who were capable of you know contributing to winning uh, around Luca. Um, but I don't think that necessarily happens if Rick doesn't lay the foundation that he laid with a Dorian Finney-Smith or a Dwight Powell or, you know, uh, a Jalen Brunson before departing or, you know, a Maxi Kleba or any of those kind of guys. And, you know, I think you could see that like a, an Andrew Nimhart is probably the perfect kind of player where you're going to see that, you know, you're going to see that level of, of, I think, development and being like, oh, yeah, He's surrounded by the right guys. Like that guy's a dude who is contributing to winning. Um, and I, and I'm sure you'll see more guys like that pop up uh, throughout uh, Rick's time uh, with Indiana. 
Ryan, I want to shift towards the Christmas Day slate. First, I want to start with your matchup. You got the 76ers and the Knicks at noon on ESPN and ABC. Uh, you, J.D. Redd, and Cassidy Hubbard on the call for that. What are your observations about the Sixers and the Knicks, both within playoff seating right now to this point, and what can fans expect uh, to start Christmas Day off with that Knicks and Sixers matchup? Yeah, so, I mean, I think, look, there's a chance that they're both going to be riding ridiculously long winning streaks when that game <laughs> takes place, you know? If the Knicks win tonight, second half of back-to-back against Toronto, and then on Friday against Chicago, the Knicks will have a 10-game winning streak uh, entering that Christmas Day matchup. Now, maybe they're going to lose one of these next two. Chicago will want revenge. Toronto's catching the Knicks second half of back-to-back, plus they're just – Toronto's desperate for a win, but I, uh, and we'll see what happens with Philly. They have a matchup against the Clippers, which will be tough, but you know, you could be having, I think Philly has two more games, maybe one or two, but a team on a 10 game and a team on a seven or eight game winning streak going into uh, that Christmas day matchup. The, the great thing about what I always think about with Christmas at the garden is the star of the game is the garden. And it doesn't really even matter who's on the floor there is an energy that you can feel whether you're like me sitting courtside calling it or you're at home watching it on ABC and ESPN, which every one of our five games will be simulcast on both ABC and ESPN. FYI. So um, I I think that, you know, there's always a buzz, but it will be elevated because you happen to have two red hot teams going at it. Uh, You also are starting off the slate that day, um, which I think, you know, a lot of times people are, you know, done opening gifts, starting to have some breakfast, whatever it might be. And, you know, that noon game is uh, kind of an accompaniment to uh, the Christmas morning. So um, I'm pumped. I'm pumped to see the way that both these teams have been defending. You know, Philly's been one of the best defensive teams in the league. Obviously, Embiid is playing like an MVP once again. And, uh, and the Knicks have been, after getting off to such a slow start defensively, they've been incredible defensively over the last, uh, you know, few weeks. So I'm really looking forward to that. What is a quick follow-up to that? What is the lead-up to that like? I mean, obviously, there, there's no a sudden increase in foot traffic that's going to uh, catch New Yorkers by surprise, but what is that day like of the lead-up as you're already there, ready to go, and the fans start to file in out of the garden after you know celebrating the holidays, and for those that celebrate Christmas, great, but just that whole day and atmosphere leading in to tip? Yeah, it, it, it's just there's a buzz is how I could describe it. You know, one of the amazing things I think about being at live sporting events is there's this, you know, sensation to it. There's a, there's a feeling of community and energy that really can't be duplicated except when you're in those settings. And it's one of the things that keeps us coming back, even as our at home technology continues to improve, because we know there is a human experience that comes along with being in a crowd like that, you know, pulling for something that can only be experienced in that crowd. And I think that on Christmas day, there's another level of energy that's felt, you know, it's hard to describe exactly what it is, but there is just, you know, the same way that, you know, someone walks into your home on, you know, Hanukkah or Christmas or, you know, any holiday, and it just feels different. Um, Is, is this feels different than walking in on a Wednesday when you still might be very excited to have them. right? Right. But it just feels different. That's how it feels like I'm excited every single day. I walk into an NBA arena. I am obsessed with play by play and I love my job and I love the NBA, but as much as I love it, it feels 
even more awesome on Christmas Day. It is, it is a palpable sensation. There's a festivity and a joy you can feel from everybody that's there, and it's just really cool to be a part of. Ryan, I did want to ask you about a guy on the Knicks as you get ready to prep for that game. I'm a Butler alum, watched a lot of Big East basketball over the years, a lot of clashes between Butler and Villanova. And Jalen Brunson, I was at the Pacers game the other day when they played the Knicks. What I love most about Jalen Brunson is that he's clearly taken a step already from Dallas to New York. He's playing so efficiently, but he... he takes his game from Villanova where he's literally a point guard going to the block and posting up and putting these spin moves on other guards that have seen nothing like it. He's like a point forward, but the steps he has taken, I mean, he's turning into just a hell of a player, Ryan. Oh, he's fantastic. And, you know, I remember talking to Jason Kidd about him last year and him just glowing about what a winner he is. And, and, you know, I think I was talking with Alan Hahn earlier this morning and Alan is, uh, one of the primary uh, voices covering the Knicks on MSG and then ESPN radio uh, host. And, and he's, he does a wonderful job. And he was saying, he's like, you know, the thing that like just stands out to me watching him every day, how smart he is, like what a smart player he is and how that ends up affecting everybody else. And I think one of the things you're seeing is like Jalen Brunson taking the reins, the way that he is, he is helping slot Julius Randall into a more effective place in the offense where he's not dribbling quite as much and making those mistakes that had the garden crowd groaning a year ago. Right. It, it has RJ Barrett, you know, functioning sort of more as a third option, which I think is probably appropriate for RJ Barrett, even though he's a guy who can very easily get you 20 a game. So all of that being said, um, you know, I think that he's also a Tom Thibodeau type player, which is hard nose, grind it out cares about winning, going to show up every day and ball. Um, And so, yeah, he might be diminutive. He might be undersized. um, But he's not just a scoring small guard. He obviously can score, but he does a lot of other winning things. um, And I think Dallas really misses him, and I think the Knicks are very fortunate to have him. Ryan Rucco, nice enough to join us on the Motor Shop in Fishers hotline. Go to the Motor Shop in Fishers for all your Residential and commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, power tools, so much more. They have you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com. Ryan Rucco of ESPN, Yes no Network, and the R2C2 podcast with CC Sabathia. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Rucco. Ryan, zooming out uh, big picture with the NBA slate. I know that you're obviously going to be rightfully so obsessed with your matchup with 76ers Knicks, but when you look at the rest of the five games on the slate, is there one that will kind of draw your attention that you'll be definitely locked into. You'll be locked into all of them, but that really intrigues you through that five game slate. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that I, I think seeing the, the, the bucks uh, play their game and, and, you know, looking at the two teams who are like, no doubt the, the class of the East with the bucks and the Celtics, I think seeing those two teams go at it, even though Boston's been struggling a little bit here lately, um, their offense, is, uh, which was off to a historically great start, has been now in the tank for a while, and it was so good that they're still first in offense. Um, but I, I think seeing them is something that I'm really curious about, um, seeing those two teams go at it, because I think, like, yeah, there's other teams in the East who could end up factoring into who comes out of the conference, Cleveland, Brooklyn, um, uh, the Heat, the Sixers, um, you know, we'll see uh, if there's anybody else who can kind of climb the ladder. The Cavs, of course, 
are the three seed right now and, and are, you know, the team who may have the best shot in knocking off one of those two. But respect has to go to those two. They're the class of the East. They're the ones who've proven it in the playoffs, and they're the ones with the most continuity. Um, and I think we're learning right now, I think over the last couple of years, we've gained a greater appreciation for continuity than maybe at any point since the you know big three super team uh, post-LeBron to Miami era. Like I think we're all really appreciating how much continuity matters. So I'm excited to see those two teams go at it and see if there's any noticeable gaps or deficiencies or ways that one team can exploit the other. Ryan, before we let you go, got to hit the diamond, talk a little baseball. I'm a guy that makes most of my living calling ball in the Cubs organization, and I know a lot of people back home are are uh, thrilled about Jamison Tyone signing the deal with the Cubs, $68 million over a few years. And I know Tyone has really made a career out of being known as an innings eater, a guy that's reliable, of an ERA under four. But in your mind, Ryan, why should Cubs fans be most excited about Jamison Tyone? He's a great dude in the clubhouse. Great dude in the clubhouse. The, he is, you know, he's the kind of guy who lifts the spirits of everybody in it, who's funny, whose teammates just love. I can't tell you how many different Yankees over the last couple of years raved to me about Jamison Tyone and what he meant in that room. Um, and look, he he's gonna he's gonna go out there and he's gonna pour his heart and soul, and he has a wonderful story and. He's, you know, he's got six different pitches that he uses equally, and and he uh, he'll go through periods of time where he struggles a little. Then he'll go through periods of time where he looks like a legitimate ace, and you know he'll end up probably factoring into being a pitcher that can win, you know, somewhere around 15 games with an ERA in the high threes, you know. And he's a really good starting pitcher. But I think where you'll feel him more is what he's going to do in that room, especially for a Cubs team that's trying to build back up after some glorious years followed by some down years. Ryan, last question. I, I'm contractually obligated to ask it. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't wearing the pinstripes today. Uh, your thoughts on Aaron Judge being named the 16th captain in franchise history. Yeah, I mean, it's appropriate. He, um, I'll never forget CC Sabathia, my podcast co-host and friend, telling me when Judge was a rookie in 2017, being like, he's already our leader. And I was like, really? Wow. You know, like and for CC to say that is telling right. because CC's not just saying that, like, that's not the kind of guy CC is. Um, and so I was like, wow, I mean, that's impressive. And I think it's only continued, you know, to grow. And, you know, something that Aaron Boone made a point of, of highlighting today that I've known to be true for a while is as kind and accessible as judge is, he is a voracious competitor and a very confident one. And in that way, he reminds me a lot of the last captain, Derek Jeter. Now, we know Derek was as polite and humble as you could be, but he also was extraordinarily confident and a ridiculous competitor. And he believed he had a better chance on any given day to get that big hit than anybody in the majors. And that's the way judges as well. you know. And um, I think that we've seen that. Uh, and there's definitely an appreciation for that. Um, and it will only, uh, you know, I, I think it will only help to be highlighted now that he has that C officially. He's been their captain for a while without the title. He's so earned this. And look, he's a generational Yankee. They don't come around all the time. But especially if you're someone who either has kids or has nephews, nieces, or just knows young kids growing up in this area at this time – Aaron judges their guy, you know, he is their moon and their sun. And, and 
he is everything to young Yankee fans, the same way that Derek Jeter was, you know. Um, and I'd say Judge probably has an even larger slice of the pie when it comes to favorite players, you know, with the young fans because Judge isn't necessarily surrounded by Jeter and, I mean, by Pettit and Bernie and, you know, Posada and Mo and uh, Paul Neal and some other guys who were, you know, sort of like embedded Yankees who were there a while. So this guy means everything to the fan base. And uh, he is a, he's an iconic face of the franchise player who, yeah, at some point, you know, he'll need that championship to be at the tippy top in the annals of the franchise's history. But no matter what, he's a guy. You know, he's a guy who's part of a very small list, and he's very deserving of this honor because he is, without a doubt, the leader of this team. 99 days to opening day, 99 staying in New York. Ryan, looking forward to when the Yankees season starts. Can't wait for the NBA Christmas Day action. Of course, always checking out the R2C2 podcast with CC. Appreciate your work as always, my friend. Happy holidays, you and your family, and uh, have a good call. Thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you having me on. All the best. Thanks, Ryan. That's Ryan Rucco, again, of ESPN and Yes Networking. Follow him on Twitter at Ryan Rucco via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline. He joined us today. Of course, go to the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com, for all your residential commercial mowers, as well as snowblowers, parts, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Breaking news of the day. It's not breaking at this point, but it was the time. It is the news story of the day, however. Nick Foles taking the reins from Matt Ryan. New starter for the Colts for these final three weeks of the season, despite... Matt Ryan being the proclaimed by Jeff Saturday best QB to give us a chance to win. Nick Foles now less than a week later after those comments, the starter for your Indianapolis Colts. We try to get through these final three games of the season. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you from the drivehubor.com studios. We shift to the talented Stephen Holder of ESPN.com who was on this story as it happened and has obviously received comments at the press availability today from Jeff Saturday and company. Uh, Steven, I doubt you could still get a pulse on this team and the direction they want to go to. And you're probably on the same boat of get to the finish line as quickly as possible as we are, but your takeaways with the decision to go to Foles, uh, a instead of Ellinger and B just the decision to bench Matt Ryan for these final three games. Well, you know, when you lose two consecutive games in absolute historic fashion, it might be time, uh, to think about some alternatives, right? Sure. So that's where they are. <laughs> and that, that's the reality. I mean, you talk about, you know, getting a pulse for where they are. You're exactly right. Their, their pulse is, when am I going on vacation? Because I need to get as far away from this as possible. And I, I agree with that because, let me tell you, I've been there for all of it. So, anyway, I, I would say this about the quarterback change. I, I actually think had had Frank Reich remained the head coach – we would have seen Nick Foles a long time ago. And, and by that, what at least, I mean, when Matt Ryan hurt his shoulder, you know, Nick Foles would have been, I think, the, in that scenario, had, uh, had it not been mandated by Demerce that they go to Sam Ellinger, it would have been Nick Foles. And so, you know, Nick Foles had that standing you know, with the team uh, before this or before things changed of late. 
And uh, I think, frankly, you know, this this could have happened a long time ago, but we'll see. I mean, he's going to get his opportunity, and we'll see uh, what he can do if he can give them some life. They, they, they definitely need some, some life offensively right now. Steven, it's Brendan. Besides arm strength, is there anything Nick Foles can do differently than Matt Ryan? I, I think probably not a lot, but what you hit on is important. I was just talking about this with some of my colleagues. I really think we haven't talked enough about Matt Ryan's shoulder. And I'm not saying this to give him an excuse. I'm not. I don't care how whether he looks bad or doesn't or, or how people view him. We're just talking just reality. There's, there's definitely been a sea change in his ability to throw down the field and his willingness to throw down the field. If you watch the season opener against Houston, You saw a guy who in the second half of that game, as bad as he was early on, in the second half of that game, he went after that defense. He went after them. He forced that ball down the field to Michael Pittman and others, and they made plays. They they actually pulled off a 17-point comeback in that game. That guy's gone. Okay, we haven't seen that guy in many, many weeks. And I really think the dividing line, honestly, was, was when he hurt his shoulder. And, and I just don't think he's been able to, to get back that, that faith in his arm and, and that confidence in his arm to throw it down the field. The Colts coaches have been really frustrated by the fact that they have had what they think are some potential touchdown opportunities where Matt Ryan just hasn't pulled the trigger. So to your point, that's where I think they're hoping, we'll see, they're hoping that Nick Foles can step in and perhaps make those throws that Matt Ryan was not. But we'll see. But but I do think they at least have a puncher's chance at it now because Matt Ryan was clearly not doing it. Steven, we were kind of having a roundtable discussion with our producer, Eddie Garrison, as well, and he brought up the point that perhaps the reason you go with Foles over Ellinger is because even though different outlets can put every graphic they want, the playoffs are still on the table. The playoffs ship sailed weeks ago in my mind but it definitely did last week when you're looking at where this franchise goes these final three weeks the only thing left to do is continue to get measurables for the rest of your roster is another reason for Foles, and this was eddie's larger point that it gives you a better baseline than ellinger to evaluate the other position pieces on offense uh, i think that's actually fair that's a, actually a, a very fair point because take a look at for example uh, Michael Pittman and you know what do they have in Michael Pittman? I mean, I think they have a very good player, but but does he have that elite potential? You know, and I think that's been harder to to really determine. And you know, too many of their throws are short of the uh, of the first down markers, and so you have this this condensed offense. And as Jeff said today, just Saturday, you know, he, he remarked that you know the. The safeties are playing, you know, seven yards off the line of scrimmage. You know, I mean, like, what are you really able to to demonstrate? You're not able to take chances and to really push your offense and and take, you know, just take some liberties, right? And so I agree with that. I think they can they can maybe try to make some things happen, see what their capabilities are, because right now, I mean, they just don't really have anything to go on. Uh, I think. Paris, Paris Campbell, for example, right? I mean, Paris Campbell is going to be a contract year, despite or besides uh, the health concerns there. He's, he's done a good job. 
Stephen, this is very hypothetical and very tinfoil. Oh, sorry, go ahead. We lost no, you for a minute. We lost you for a minute. Sorry, just saying about Paris Campbell, I think he's another example, right? I mean, have we seen his ceiling? You know, so that's another example of, I think, what you're talking about. Can they maybe get a better read on some of these guys? And it is and should be about the future for these final three games. Steven, I, I would say this is very hypothetical and tinfoil hat of me, but Nick Foles getting the start potentially in these last three games. I know they said they'll evaluate it week to week, but you know who knows who knows anymore. Uh, yeah, right. You know, could this be about trying to figure out if Foles has any gas left in him, and they're trying to find out if he could be the bridge between drafting a young quarterback, maybe top five, and needing a guy to start those first few weeks of next season before maybe a young guy is ready? I think probably not. Um, now, now, if he plays great, maybe that becomes a conversation, right? We'll see. Um, it, it just depends on, on what he has left because, look, there are also questions about that. I mean, he has to, he has to address those questions with his own play, you know, talking about Nick Foles. Not, it's not just Matt Ryan who I think there are questions about. You know, Nick Foles hasn't played a lot in a very long time. You know, so so we we're gonna learn a lot about who he is right now. So I don't I don't know if that's their thinking, but again, if he you know Nick Nick Foles has surprised a lot of people over the years, and and if he does it again here, maybe he gives the Colts something to think about in terms of being a mentor, um, a bridge, whatever the case may be. He definitely has. Uh, unbelievable leadership capacity, right? And and he's been in just about every situation you can imagine. So not out of the question, but but I also would leave you with this. Um, I also don't know what Nick Foles' intentions are for the future because I don't know how intent he was on playing this year until Frank Reich called him, right? And and that's what got him off the couch. So so we'll see what his future is uh, just from his own perspective as well. Stephen Holder taking some time with us today via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, themotorshop.com. You can follow Stephen on Twitter at HolderSteven, NFL reporter and Colts reporter for ESPN. Stephen, looking big picture for a second, you kind of were sharing your thoughts on the state of the Colts and particularly with General Manager Chris Boward last night on Twitter and where things go, both from a coaching perspective and from the general manager side of things. Uh, I want to clarify it with this, Stephen. If it was me, if I was in the role of Jim Irsay, I would have parted ways with Boward when I parted ways with Reich and I would have just cut ties there and established what the direction of the franchise is going to look at that point. Now we're here to December 21st. I'm in the camp even though I think they should part ways with Boward still. I don't want to see him lose his job but it's a business. But I'm also the mindset I don't think that's what Jim Irsay is going to do based on how he's talked about Ballard and how he has just demonstrated this whole process the last three or four weeks. That was before the Minnesota game. But in your mindset, your tweets were from last night. Where do you envision the future of the franchise at general manager right now? Does your gut tell you that Ballard's here another season? Yes. Um, my conversations with Jim Irsay or as a result of my conversations, I, I am leaning the same way. I think his public statements now, which uh, I think are multiple such statements, I, I believe them in terms of his intent at the moment. I would also offer this caveat. Jamerce has changed his mind a lot lately, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, I think here's where 
here's where I think it gets interesting. The coaching search hasn't happened yet. I do not anticipate Jeff Saturday is going to be back. I would be a little surprised by that. In fact, I'd be probably a lot surprised. So let's assume they go somewhere else. Now, what kind of coach do they go after? And who is leading that coaching search? Who's ultimately making that coaching decision? And the reason I bring that up is because what or who they settle on as the head coach, I, I think that determines the role of the general manager. If you go get Jim Harbaugh, I have no idea if that's going to happen, right? I'm not predicting that whatsoever. But if you go get Jim Harbaugh, that changes Chris Ballard's role probably a lot. Because Jim Harbaugh, he wants juice. He's going to want juice. And you're going to have to give it to him if you want him, if you want to hire him. So that's just an example of what I'm talking about. At that point, Chris Ballard's role or whoever the general manager is, their role changes pretty significantly, I think. You know, So I think those are the things that we cannot yet anticipate and we need to find out you know, how this takes shape before we really can, can give an educated guess on, on what becomes of Chris Ballard from that perspective. Steven, so you don't sense that because of everything that has happened this year between the original Ryan benching, as you said, Jim Hersey has changed his mind a lot after Frank Reich seemingly had his support and then did not after he was fired. Did you ever feel any disconnect between owner and GM over the last couple months? Oh, I think there's there was a disconnect over Jeff Saturday, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> yes, yes, there was absolutely, unequivocally a disconnect there. Um, the boss won that argument. If Maybe argument's the wrong word, right? But, um, but whatever disconnect there was, the owner's vote definitely counts more, right? So, so he got his man. Now, we'll see whether he relents at all, you know, going forward. But I would also add that, you know, over the last, I would say, year, frankly, you know, if you go back to the Carson Wentz decision, uh, to uh, the quarterback decisions, and I mean that multiple, you know, making Ellinger the number two earlier in the season and then promoting him to number one. I mean, those are decisions that were driven by Jim Irsay. And certainly the Jeff Saturday decision was driven by Jim Irsay, if not completely by Jim Irsay. So I, I think that is a very interesting change in the way things have worked uh, with this franchise for a long time. So I'm very interested to see whether that continues and and how that gets navigated uh you know, between those two parties, Jim Mercer and Chris Ballard. Last question. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Question on that front, Stephen. Just last question before I let you go. Again, appreciate you making time for us. I guess my, my larger question with that about Ballard and with the future at GM along with the fact that like you said they're gonna have to have a coaching search so we aren't too far down the road of okay we're at this point in the season or we're at this point removed from when we need to start focusing on the draft and focusing on a new head coach Ballard's probably safe we've not crossed a a point of no return in that aspect where we can safely assume who's going to be the GM correct Oh, I say no, absolutely not. Okay. No, I mean, if I recall, I could be wrong about this, but if I recall correctly, uh, Jim Mercer fired his last general manager actually well into January, uh, Ryan Grigson. So, you know, there was a change made there long after the, the regular season was over for the Colts. You know, I think it was several weeks, if I'm not 
mistaken. So, you know, I think that that indicates to you, you know, just kind of how how these things work. Uh, I mean, we've seen general managers, we've seen changes at general manager in other in other franchises in the middle of the offseason. Right. I mean, that's happened before too, right? So, I mean, it's definitely different. Um, you know, there's there's definitely a a very decisive period after the draft, for example. Like, if these things can happen at any time when it comes to general manager. Uh, coaches' tenures are a little more structured because of the, the way the season works, and so are generally the, the front office types. But, but there is precedent for it happening at different intervals as well. I guess very last thing I had for you, Stephen, for the Sam Ellinger hype or story, your fans clamoring for him, in your mind, is this a clear statement by the franchise that they feel they've seen what they need to see out of him in terms of an evaluation? Because the argument from the fans, and I understand they're the fans, they're not making the decisions, but the argument's going to be, well, why don't we give Ellinger a larger body of work to prove what he has? Is this a clear statement to you with naming Foles the starter that they've made their evaluations and they're ready to proceed? I think it strongly suggests that. And everything that I – that I know about about their view of Sam Ellinger, and and I'm not talking about Jim Mercedes. I'm talking about the people who who actually make football decisions. Uh, the viewpoint of those people has, in my the way I understand it, is that he is definitely has the the I guess the potential to be a high end backup. Now, as a starter, his physical limitations, and they are he does have limitations, right? His as Although he has strengthened his arm and has definitely uh, become more accurate, um, he has some physical limitations, right, in how he can throw the ball. So the field shrinks. Uh, he's not the tallest guy, so there's that. You know, So there are these things that you can overcome them, certainly. You can overcome them. And we have seen it happen more and more in the NFL today. But you have to have some elite physical skills to overcome them. And that's the thing. He doesn't have that, and I think that's where – uh, he he kind of gets held back and, and I think probably put into a little bit of a box as a as a backup. Steven, I know it's never a dull moment on the beat. Always appreciate you making time for us, particularly in this situation, and looking forward to following your coverage the rest of the way. All right, guys. No problem. Talk to you soon. Happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. That's Steven Holder. You can follow him on Twitter at Holder Steven, NFL reporter for ESPN, culture reporter for them as well.